What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a great week so far. So coming up on today's episode is the one and only Got Some. I've known Adam for a long time, um, probably four or five years, um, maybe a bit longer, actually. Bristol boy, born and bred, uh, has great knowledge in music, um, one of the best and is like a huge part of the Bristol scene. Uh, has a few records or he had a massive record called Baseline back in the day. Um, now coming back with some big ones on Defected's imprint D for Dance on Tool Room. Really nice, like vocally driven records. Go check them out. But before, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave some comments uh, in the comment section. It keeps the podcast going. And let's do it without further ado. Got some. And we're live. What's cooking, man? We're here, live in the studio. Live and direct. Let me turn you live on. and direct. I might try and get some more light on us later on. I think the lighting's good, man. Oh, yeah, it's better before. It? Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. It's like a bloody photo shoot over there. I just wanted everyone to see the SSR, really. <laughs> Is it an SSR? Yeah. yeah. It's only a small one. It's a little Matrix one. Mm. And you know what? I haven't learned how to use it. It's a guy that I share with. So yeah. um, I'm learning how to use it soon. So you're going to hear better mixes. Well, just, let's see. Just be able to run everything through, innit? That's the vibe, yeah. yeah. How's life? Well, I saw you last yeah, week. I know, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. It's good. It's um, just trying to focus on writing new, lots of new music. Yeah. And that is key right now is... Because we just don't know when we're really going to be DJing. Mm. Like, it's so, so uncertain, the mm. whole DJing thing. So it's like, just got to focus on one thing that we actually know what we're doing, and that is writing music. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. It's a shit time. But also, I was talking to Charlene Hector this morning. Yeah. And Yeah, uh, I'm, a- I'm actually doing the tune with her. The oh, cool. She's dope, man. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. She sang Hallelujah. Yeah. She, she, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she re-sang wow. that. Um, but yeah, like, we were just talking, like, about kind of not touring and everything like that and how, I don't know, I don't know about you, but do you feel, like, super busy but there's no shows? Like, I'm, like, non-stop all the time. Yeah. Like, my days are yeah. just slammed. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to go back to it. Like, touring on top of doing everything I'm doing. Yeah, it's funny. I did a couple of live streams like last week or the week before, and I did two in one day. And I was like, having, I had a bit of food in between, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this feels like doing gigs, like yeah. two gigs a night. Yeah. And I was like, I haven't done that for like a year or so. It's just weird. It's such a weird feeling. So, yeah, I, I think we're all going to be really knackered when we start DJing again. Yeah, man. I late nights, late nights, and early yeah. mornings, no sleep. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trust I me. Trust I can't me. wait. I cannot wait. It's gonna be. Yeah. Nice. I think the thing they, is, we're we're getting closer and closer to it happening. Yeah. But we just know that it could just be taken away from us. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to this. Um, like I've wanted, I've been really positive, and I've I, I've always wanted it, but I don't want to have my hopes cut. Yeah. So yeah, what yeah. I do is I kind of when it comes to this I kind of hope for the what no like think about the worst and then and then the best will come. Do you know what I mean? No, I totally agree. You then you set no expectations, do you? 
Yeah, no expectations. But you know what? Like, more than DJing, I just want to be in a field with my mates dancing to music mm. or, like, in a club with, like, a couple of my mates. That's all I worry about. Like, for me, like, DJing is, like, you know, it's, it's a bonus, do you know what yeah, I mean? But yeah. to have that feeling of being in a club with your mates listening to tunes that you, like, love hearing. Yeah, that's like... I think it's that social it's that socializing thing that none of us have been able to really do for a long yeah. time, isn't it? It's just we wanna people wanna see people. We And we, also like like that was the reason why I got into it is because I was a raver. Do you know what I mean? I was like all I wanted to do was go to clubs and listen to music. That was all from a young, young age. That was my 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 main thing that I wanted to do in my life. What was it so, like what was it like growing up in Bristol back in the day then? It was like, it was cool because I was brought up in the 90s in Bristol and it was like, you know, we were so lucky, but we didn't even know that we were lucky. It's always the way. Always the way, right? It was like, I used to skateboard, I used to listen to hip hop and then like jungle music. And that Mm. was like, that was life, you know? Um, And I used to go skateboarding around Bristol um, and every Sunday, we there used to be like ten or twenty of us that used to go skating. And at the time, they were like big, quite big skateboarders, like Danny Wainwright. Um, there was like there was about five pro skaters like, okay. that used to run fifty fifty in that. And we just used to go skateboarding and just used to go mad, like go ham through town and go up the multi-story car parks and like start at the top and like go down. And that was like the vibe. And then I started hanging out with DJ Die. Um, I've still and never met this, him. Yeah. I've and he was like, him. he was kind of like a teacher for me at the time. And just like, I wasn't a DJ. I wasn't a producer. I literally liked hip hop and was getting into jungle music. And obviously at that point, he was like, he was fully into jungle music. He had come from hardcore. Obviously he had a crew with Joe, uh, DJ, you know, Jody Waskinoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they, they had a crew together called Sub Love, and okay. that was like in the hardcore rave days. And um, and I used to hang out with Dai, and he's like, after going skating on Sundays, he'd be like, yeah, come to the studio or whatever. And I used to come to the studio and um, like smoke weed with him and stuff and uh, just hang out. And then, and then like loads of people would come past the studio, like Smith and Mighty, mm. um, Crust, and like um Quest brother, a guy called Flynn, who again was a big person in the in the Bristol music scene. And they all used to come past. And again, I didn't I was quite unaware of who they were at the time. And they were just playing us songs and and it was like mad hearing the hip hop culture and the early jungle culture. Um, and obviously the rave culture. It was all being amalgamated at that time. Mm. So it was like Smith and Mike did that watching walk on by, um, you know, and they sampled like a funky drummer or something. Yeah. And it was at the same time that like Nelly Hooper was around and Nelly Hooper did um, uh, obviously Massive Attack and later on did Bjork and Janet Jackson and um, Madonna and people like that, you know. So there was a big amalgamation of like these Bristol hip hop heads being in Bristol in the mid 90s and jungle appearing. Yeah. And there was like 
there was hip hop jungle being made and there was jungle jungle being made. Um, and then there was obviously jungle hardcore as well. And it was all like, it was mad, like seeing it all happening and f- unfolding in front of me, but also being oblivious of, of it as well. Um, but obviously that being around that from such a young age um, influenced me a great deal. A yeah. great deal. Well, so did, did you start writing jungle? No, originally I literally started DJing. I got a job at a, at a supermarket in my local local area, and uh, the guy that I was doing nights with in the supermarket was this was a hip hop DJ, mm. and he kept bringing me tapes like hip hop tapes with like Nas and Biggie and BDP and just like proper sick. And he used to do beat juggling and scratching and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is mad. And then at the same time, I was hanging out with Dai. And he was, like, teaching me how to do doubles and stuff. And also one of my best friends from school bought a pair um, Technics as well. And I was like, after that summer of hanging out with them all, I was like, yo, I need to buy some turntables. Yeah. And it was like, I'm going to do anything to get them turntables. So and then I bought the turntables and then it was just that standard, like, buying saving money up to buy jungle mm. really yeah jungle and hip-hop and just buying it religiously every week trying to buy like four records or five records there used to be some great record shops in bristol as well yeah they, yeah so there was like we play records mm. which was um originally by the bus station and then there was um, a place called purple penguin um which is which is pretty cool this guy called jamie and a few guys that were like stand stand up dudes, and yeah, and then there was a place called Eat the Beat as well. And we just used to basically run around the shops trying to like blag white labels. Mm. Um, and then there was another place where Jake's used to work, and it was on where Kushti is now. Okay, um, it's called Breakbeat. Oh, what was it called? Breakbeat. It, is Kushti still open? Kushti. Yeah, Kushti's still open. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, big up. If you're in Bristol, go to Christie, definitely. That's great. But, um, but, yeah, so I just used to go to the record shops and, and it was just like, obviously when you're into Jungle, the, the whole promo and white label dub plate culture, it was all about having the record before your mate had the record. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I got the white label of it. And it's like, I'm going to go, um, even if you're playing in your bedroom, it was like, yeah, I got the white label. So it was like, that was... That was the thing, and um, well, in, ha- in got... house, the the white labels were more just like remixes, of, yeah, of like yeah, or or bootlegs like, and yeah, stuff. like bootlegs and remixes that you they weren't allowed to technically press, but they just like pressed like two hundred copies, and yeah, it was like gold dust getting them. Yeah, still really exclusive, but mm. I, I think with the genre, it was just like with dub plate culture. It's funny because with dub plate culture, um, a producer will write a song. And then they'll get it um, put on record, mm. like on acetate, and it'll be on like a 10-inch acetate. Yeah. And it'll be on that. It could be on that for like two years before it gets signed. Yeah. And the whole thing is what they did with Dublin Culture is you'd write a song on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You'd go to like Music House yeah. or Metropolis on Thursday and Friday. And then you'd go to Fabric um, on Friday to play that record mm. and everyone would be standing around 
waiting for that DJ to play a record that they never heard before. Yeah. And that was like the whole thing with dubplate culture. Well, I think so, that, that was a lot to do with music culture back then, even in house, like early, yeah. early 90s, early 2000s. No, late 90s, early 2000s is, is like when I can remember. And you'd have like, in Ibiza, you'd have one record for the summer that every, yeah. that like it was the, the track of the summer. Yeah, yeah, sure. You just don't get that now. No, because it's the music industry has gone, it's so mechanical now. Yeah. And the fact that, um, yeah, there's there's no lo- longevity with a song, or not that I can see it as much longevity. It's more like it comes out, it will go into Beatport, it will go uh, into playlists in Spotify, and then, and then it's got a cycle. Mm. When before, it was all about prolonging that cycle. So it was like, if your song was on dubplate, it would be more wanted. People mm. would want it more. It'd be like, oh my God, that song, I can't get... It's like, it's funny. Um, when I did the um, Kanye West edit of mm. Fade that I did, I kind of, kind of had that idea in that I wanted to write it, but it was just for me. Yeah. It was like an edit that I wanted to do. I think I was playing it. Boontown or something on one of them really mm. big stages and I was like oh, I really just want to write a song that I could play on that stage to finish yeah. and and I looked and I listened to it and I was like listen to all of the samples from it and I was like this is a house record yeah, yeah. obviously um, Kanye and Hudmo and Benji made it into a, a, a hip hop record and I was just like the way that they put it together was amazing and I just kind of wanted to respect it in a way, but I wanted to play it in my sets. Yeah. And um, so I made it, and then uh, and then everyone and their dog wanted it, and I was like, it's not really mine to give out mm. even, you know, because it's originally it's Larry Heard. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's Mr. Fingers. Yeah. And um, and then obviously Hud Hudson Mohawk and and them guys did it for Kanye, and it's like I I couldn't. Everyone every five minutes is like. People hit hitting me up with like <laughs> Diplo and Afrojack and Groove Armada, like literally everyone. And I was just like, obviously I'll give it to you guys to play, but it that that wasn't the concept. But the whole idea of, of that keeping it exclusive has kind of gone now, you know? It's it's the it's, mystery. It's something that has that when it like like it happened with me with Hallelujah. Like, yeah, I sure, literally, I, I literally wrote that for myself. Yeah. Um, and then a few people started asking for it and then it turned into what it is. And yeah, but for me, those records are the ones that still do the best. Yeah. That they, they grow a hype around like classic example was the rebuke along came Polly. Yeah, exactly. Like Jamie was playing that in his sets for a year before that came out. Like Ruben sent that to me, like before it even got signed yeah. And it was just like, wow, this is this is going to be amazing. Yeah. But it would have it only did that well because it was literally a handful of DJs playing it and that had yeah. their hands on it and that could get their hands on it. Um, yeah. Cuz I know I know like I I remember like Ruben telling me he was like, dude, like make sure that you don't get recorded playing this because Yeah. Because yeah. Jamie will flip, if you know what I mean, because mm-hmm. he wants it mm-hmm. just for himself. 
And mm-hmm. I think there's a part of that where it's like we think in these day, this day and age that we have to give our music to everyone. Yeah. And like DJ promo culture is that you just send it to everyone and hope that yeah. someone gets it. But all you need is like that one video. Yeah. And it just and it just slams everywhere now, which is yeah. it's different to how it used to be, because I think what it is is now it's more of a commercialized industry. Right. So it's a, it's a commercialized industry because anyone can get anything. Yeah. And that happens in, in everything within culture. Mm-hmm. So like the whole thing with rave culture is that you are lucky to be at that party. Yeah. You were lucky. Say if you went to a rave in the country mm. and you got that invite or you got that call and you could, you, you got on the motorway and you found out where it was. It was like you were lucky to be there. Yeah. Um, and you were wearing the clothes that you were wearing there, mm. you know. People saw that and they were like, oh, I like that style. Mm. But now, because of Instagram and Shazam, it's so easy for anyone to get it. So it's like, say, um, if I had a new pair of sneakers on and I went to a party, someone could just take that picture of that sneaker and and find out what it is. You Straight know, like away. back in the day, you went to a rave and you heard a song. Mm. The only way you're going to find out about that song is by like listening to it again and again on the tape pack. And then you would take the tape to the record shop and you would hum that bass line to that record guy and go boom 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 yeah or like you know something like that <laughs> or you'd and hope somebody guy, played it on radio like on yeah. like pete would play it on radio yeah, one or pete like or fabio, Groove fabio yeah, or yeah. Bay, you know and but it was like it made it made music style and culture so much more exclusive mm. and that and that you you really had to want to be a part of it yeah. you really wanted to have to be in the scene you had to go to the parties. You'd have to wear certain bomber jackets. You know, mm. like when you go to a rave, like back in the day with Universe and Fantasia, they all had their own bomber jackets. Yeah, and it was like you wanted to be a part of that, you yeah. know, because because that's what you did. And now, and now you maybe get like people wearing space t-shirts or Pasha t-shirts or a Shwire t-shirts mm. that never has gone to clubs don't even listen to edm or dance music you know so i guess it's it's changed a lot you know well i think that's the joys of facebook right it started at facebook and i remember when i was like helping people promote in bristol and the first thing you do was add everybody in on facebook that was that that you didn't have a clue who was and yeah in the city and you just like push like everyone could go to the party where before it used to be like okay how do we get to a party first of all like these free parties yeah. that you, like how do we get there first of all you like gotta go to an address then you get a telephone number then you gotta call the yeah. telephone number then you like <clears throat> it just i mean it, it just it, doesn't it, 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 that was a mission in its own exactly before you even got to well you what you had to do yeah. it i i did it yeah. in i did it in detroit i did a party yeah um at red rooms yeah and sure. we we didn't announce the the venue. Well, we didn't announce the venue at all. We were like, you have yeah. to text this number and you'd get an automatic text of where the, yeah, where, sure. the, where it would go. And um, it just created a really interesting vibe. Like because- it, creates a, it creates a buzz and it also reaffirms that all of the people that are at the party want to be at the party. Exactly. They're not there. They're not there 
because they want to look cool. They're not yeah. there just to catch girls. They're not there because they think they need to be there. They're there because they made the effort and they've really, really gone to town to get there. Well, I think, you know that, I mean? and, and that's the thing is like when when we kind of built the the party out, we were like, I was like, okay, so it has to have a fucking great sound system. Like yeah. it, that it has to has that and it and like zero lights. I think we had yeah. like two like little flashing lights on the speakers and then everything else was just pitch black. Yeah. And it it just gives there's there's not many clubs nowadays that concentrate on that because a lot of it is how good can this look on an Instagram or on a yeah. video or on a TikTok or on a story and things like that. And which is which is ridiculously sad, but then I, I get I it. I just don't. I don't know how how that's going to change. I, I, I don't know how the won't. industry are going to. I don't know how the industry are going to take it back. I don't know how what we've got around us now. How are we going to bring the that the, you know the culture back into it? I just don't know. Well, I think a classic example is like dubstep, right? Yeah. So how dubstep started and yeah. the the like super underground parties that would happen like yeah. on like a Monday night in the most yeah. random dingy like rooms, yeah, yeah. pubs. Like, yeah, back. they used to do like forward in uh, uh, Plastic People. Mm. That's a good, you know, that was a good strong yeah. dubstep 140 party. Yeah. And that was like fundamentally underground, you know, the same with drum and bass. There used to be a night in London called Movement, mm-hmm. which is at a place called Bar Rumba that went for years and years. And uh, again, it was on a Thursday night and it was just heads, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think but, that's what, that's where a culture is built. And now look where dubstep is nowadays with like, yeah. it literally headlines 50, 60, 100,000 festivals in yeah. America, if you know what I mean. Or yeah. In Amsterdam. yeah, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's, crazy. it's mad. But I, I think that's the whole point is that you still need these small kind of subcultures that get grown and, yeah. and they're happening. I think what, what the difference is, and I, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not, I'm not in that, those subcultures. I'm not trying yeah, to be in so, those subcultures. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not trying to be in the underground. So I do believe that those, those subcultures are happening. It's just, yeah. it's, it's interesting though, because those subcultures happen still with well, social media. Yeah, and still with Shazam, and still with yeah, um, yeah. It's do you think it's like, worse or do you think it's better? Oh, it's worse. Yeah, it's worse because it doesn't. You lose that for that family. You mm, know, you use yeah. that. You know, because you really built a family of friends because you all had the same interest. You know, yeah. and there wasn't people like bubbling in and bubbling out and and i really thrived in that culture and that time because of it because mm. you know you really really were into it you know what i mean yeah. it's like there wasn't just people that were just in it because you wanted to be a dj or you wanted to have hundred thousand followers or you wanted to wear cool clothes or something it was just like you were in it and that and that was your life you know yeah and like yeah well, like, like we we in Bristol started a party about five, six years ago called Who Cares. Mm. It was um, me, Mensa, who you know NYTA, yeah. and Sam, who's just was just now, um, and John and James Haggett, who does Lakota, yeah. and uh, and we did a cooperative night 
uh, and it was called Who Cares? And the concept behind it is that we had all of our friends from Bristol um, and we had a small club. It was about 150 capacity. And what we did is we charged everyone, uh, I believe it was £3 before 11 and £5 after. And we wouldn't release the lineup at all. Yeah. And what, and what you would do is, it was just like, you just create this vibe yeah. of people wanting to come down. And the first thing that they did is that they would walk in and we would have a bit of paper with the lineup. Um, and obviously they didn't know that. So we would have this massive queue around the block from like nine, 10, 10 o'clock in the, in, in the evening. And we would have everyone playing there. We, you know, we had Stormzy playing there, novelist, um, Joker, eats everything. Um, I mean, and then like, like Plastician, mm. uh, Mala, um, and then like, you know, really like housey names as well. And we just did this thing that because we wanted to have a, a crazy lineup that wouldn't necessarily be kind of got around the world. Yeah. And we and we would have like maybe a hip hop DJ, then a dubstep DJ or a house DJ. And then we'd have a drum and bass act, you know, and because people didn't know what they were going to see, they just knew that it was going to be really cool and also they they were gonna like at least one of the acts on the lineup yeah and then what happened is we just had 150 200 people people going crazy maybe listening to music that they never heard before yeah like we get students art students at, or uh, you know technology students that come to bristol and they would be like oh my god i've heard dubstep or i've heard like future garage or i've heard like um something i've never heard before mm. And they were like, you know, I usually only go to a hip-hop night or I usually only go uh, to a bass or 140 night. Yeah. And because they went and they got there early, they heard something that they never heard before. And that's something that I really, really hope to bring back in the future. Where does where does that come to, though, when it comes... Like, let's talk business on that side of things, right? Like, I love that concept. I absolutely love that concept. Yeah. But if you're a full-time promoter or you're a full-time club owner, like, do you think, do you think, do you think promoters are just not doing a job at building the culture? Or do you think it's not even the promoters like role to do that? I I think without pinpointing it and pointing fingers, I think it's got a bit lazy Mm. in that, in that obviously where, where I've come from, it was just dance music and there'd be one, one or two rooms full of that music Mm. and that was the vibe um and if you didn't like um say if you didn't like hard techno or you didn't like jeff mills or something then you would go to the chill out room go to the second room and yeah and you go to the second room and you did sasha or where now it's where now it's like the same djs You, you, you buy what you get yeah you know, it's like going to the store now. It's like I, I want to get some super goose, so I go to the hardware store. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, but maybe back in the day you would go to the general store and you get everything at the general store. Yeah. And like, and like that really, really breeds culture. Mm. When if you're going to the hardware store, you're not going to get that culture because you're only gonna, you might get a Carhartt belt, but you're not going to get like I don't know, you're not going to get a Fubu jacket. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. No, it but... does. It totally makes Where I live, like, yeah. there's a, a village called Wedmore and it's called the Wedmore Stores. And it's literally like, every, you can get everything in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. You just go in there and I'm like, shit, I need that. And it's like Amazon yeah. or Wedmore stores and you go yeah. to Wedmore stores. Yeah. You're going to pay an arm and a leg for it, but it's worth it. It's just yeah. like, yeah. I get, I totally get that. And I think it's really important, but how, how do we, how I do, how do, I, how do I, us as artists change that? I think for me personally, um, what I learned from doing Who Cares is that I would do that again. And the concept would be to start small, um, and keep it very organic. But from that, show the promoters and the agents and the people that are booking festivals, this is what mm. we're doing. And can we do this, you know, at a festival? Uh, even create a club vibe at a festival, you know, yeah. that we're doing uh, and start it small, you know, so people can get it and they can come to it um and say at Coachella or something like that, you could build a little club or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like two, three hundred people and everyone like it's like going to an underground club mm. and people come in and, and and they see this different type of music. And if they're not into it, they they're not into it. It's yeah. cool because it's only two hundred people. Yeah. But I guarantee when you get two hundred people together and they hear culturally like organic music, yeah. they're gonna be down because they're gonna want it. And yeah, you know. And hopefully if we nurture it, then it could get bigger and we could go to a party with, say, 2,000 people and you could hear drum and bass and then you could hear house music and then you could hear hip-hop and disco and boogie side by side. You know, mm. It'd be great to see, say, Natasha Diggs and Jada G and then go and see Jeff Mills um, and, you know, have that all side by side because it's good music, yeah. you know what I mean? No, I totally agree. I think it would be really interesting. I always say this on the podcast. Um, when I used to work at Space in Ibiza, yeah, um, on We Love Sundays, um, yeah, that, that was that was the for me the last party that would do something like that. Yeah, where sure. they would kind of nurture new artists in, yeah, and like really make them part of the furniture. Like Paul Wolf yeah. was one of the residents there, like years ago. yeah exactly and now look where he's at um yeah disclosure were like the warm-up kids i was you know just I mean. about to say that yeah i remember disclosure being there that was the f that was one of the first years i actually i went there yeah and it was so special it's dude that place and, th and then you had alfredo um yeah. like playing the sunset on the terrace yeah and and then you had like a carl cox playing i know no, carl used to have his own night but yeah. like even on Carl's night when it would be Carl Cox, he'd play a disco set on the ter on the sunset terrace. Yeah. He'd then play a house yeah. set on the terrace, and then play like a banging techno set in the discotheque. Yeah. And I just think I, I don't know what it is is why we can't do that. But I think I it's think it's I think it's I remember chatting to quite a lot of people about this the last sort of two, three years. And also like on social media as well, like asking people. And I felt like quite a lot of the younger people felt like they wanted to know what they're getting now. Yeah. And that it's their part of their culture now mm. is that if they want to go to a drum and bass night, they want to go to a drum and bass yeah. night. They don't really want to hear any other music. Yeah. And the same with techno. You know, if 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 you're going to, um, say Cocoon, mm, you, know you might not want to hear a speed garage set. In yeah, there, yeah, you know. Even though saying that, even though I remember going to Cocoon, I remember seeing Ricardo's fan, and I remember them playing They're two the or three garage, two or three mm. garage tunes, and I have never seen Amnesia go off that 
crazy in my life. Well, I think this is like, I've seen it a lot. Dennis Salter kind of was a big part of it back where, or when he first started it. Like this sounds random, but when he played that ABBA record, uh, give me, give me a man after what song's that? Give me, give me a man. It is cool. Give me, give me it. Anyway. Yeah. Like, and now I'm seeing a lot of people doing it. And yeah. the thing is, it just brings a different. It's the part of it's the art of DJing, right? And it's, it's, the, art, it's, it's art the part of, of the party. Yeah, exactly. It is a party. Yeah. Let's not forget this. Like we can all be heads in our music, but when you come as a DJ, you're a party. It, yeah, it's yeah. a party, and that's the key about it. You know, you're there to entertain, aren't you? And yeah, that's that's our job as a as a as a DJ. We're disc jockeys. Yeah. Like let's not forget that. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? There's a, a huge amount of ego. I spoke about this on the last yeah. podcast as well, and we spoke about it last week. Is yeah, there's yeah, a huge there's a huge amount of ego in this industry. Well, in not just in this in, in this life in our in the world. Yeah. I mean, and, especially within the entertainment business, anyway. Of course, but I I, well, I think it's in everything. But I guess insular to our to our own industry it is just yeah. massively like. Oh no, you're signed to this label. I can't have anything to do with you. Oh no, you're signed yeah, to this cool. label. Like I can't have anything to do. It's it's a bad look on me. I had the conversation with a mate that I'm writing music for at the moment. Yeah, and she's doing like a really commercial record, and I'm like, do you want to be associated with that? But realistically, the real answer, the real question was me was, would you ever play this in your in your sets? Yeah, and and I think it's something that we all do. Um, it's about having outlets as well. And I guess we, we talked about this briefly last week, but I guess being on the podcast now, is, for me, um, doing Got Some, I think it's hindered me quite a lot, my ego, in that I, I wanted to be accepted by everyone. Yeah. I wanted to be, like, cool. Mm. Like, I spent the whole time with, if you look at Got Some throughout a couple of years or whatever, I've... I've written a bunch of commercials commercially viable records yeah and then i've tried to backtrack and write some cool underground deep house music and it's like Did really it work? I, I sh- yeah and really i i, I shouldn't really bot like care mm. i should be like if i'm into it um i should i should be behind it you know yeah and not worry about should i do this and should i do that and then over the last like year or so especially since the lockdown, I've decided to. I started uh, writing another alias, and I, uh, you know, not telling. I'm obviously telling you now, but I'm not really like shouting about. It. I'm just writing it, mm. um, playing it within certain sets. I've got a radio show in Bristol, and I'm just like doing that. And I've, I've, I'm, I've got the understanding now that I'm kind of feeding my ego in a positive way. Yeah, which allows me to put some time into got some and not worry about it and be like you know what let's do it and, and like looking at paul wolford especially and special request it really really opened my eyes man and being like you know what paul's doing his thing and he's not feeling no way and you know what if he wants to write a really nasty jung- jungle tune or drum and bass rave tune he can write it and put it in special request and 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 do it and and and, and that makes him happy you know? yeah it's it's really interesting, but it's also kind of worrying that you can't do that under your name. Again, it's again, it's kind of the way that the culture's gone now, mm. and that maybe in the eighties and the nineties, or you know, even in the early two thousands, you could have done that. Yeah. But now, because 
everyone feels like they they want what they want, you know. I it's guess like every- having fu- it's, it's like having fusion dinner. Do you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Do you want a fusion dinner or do you want to have sushi, you know? Well, yeah, but even sushi is like fusion nowadays. California roll is not a fucking yeah, Japanese yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. I mean? like, exactly. I don't, know how, I don't <laughs> know how my food reference since going well now. I don't know. <laughs> I know people in Japan hate the fact that there's a California roll, but they have to sell it on their on their things now, on yeah. their menus, because it's just like yeah, exactly. Americanized. But yeah, I, I mean, in an ideal world, if we had it open, I would like to be able to do a record label, a party, um, and DJ, and be able to play a spectrum of music. Mm-hmm. That is a dream that I would like to have. Maybe in five years we'll be having this conversation, and within my new new uh, concept or alias, yeah. I'll have that. And that's the dream, you know. I want to be able to have a party that um, is, you know, everyone can come to, you know. Um, different age, different ages, different sexes, different sexual orientations. Everyone to come in and feel included and be able to listen to the music and feel free. Yeah, I know that sounds like such a cliche. Well, I, no, I, I don't think it does because I think that's what this culture was built on initially. Yeah, the, this culture was well, it's a gay culture. It started yeah. in, in gay clubs in in America, in, New York, yeah. Chicago, and in, in Detroit. Yeah. Detroit wasn't necessarily the gay clubs. It was more like just techno boys and girls. But like it was, it's a black culture, black gay culture. Yeah. Um, just I yeah I really just need to to see that again. Not even even necessarily to be a part of it, but just to be in clubs and and have that. Like you know, obviously when I first started raving, um, when I was going to jungle drum and bass nights and hip hop nights, like. I was surrounded by different cultures mm. and it wasn't even a thing. It was like, there'll be, there'll be a, a, a Chinese Asian guy there. There'll be an Indian guy there. Mm. There'd be a, a African guy there. There'd be, um, you know, a guy from Japan. And it was like, that was normal. Yeah. Um, and especially within jungle was like jungle music in them days. And even with speed garage and stuff, it was just like, that was normal. Like if you if you look at like old Todd Edwards videos of Rave, yeah. it was mixed. And like, tell me in the last five years, like how many parties in the UK have you been to? Especially like Tech House and stuff like that, where you could turn around and say that. Yeah. I mean, maybe more in London, but like if you go to regional parties, it's so segregated now. Well, even in America, I, I and I think I don't think it's necessarily. I, I, I could be speaking wrong, so I'm happy to be wrong here. But yeah. I don't know if it's purposely done. I think it's just cultures. We, we were talking about the other day with hip-hop and, yeah. and, uh, and house. It's like kids... Well, you, you can kind of explain what you're saying yeah. about people wanting... Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, younger kids of, of different ethnic backgrounds, are, you know, I don't think they're drawn to dance music as, as much as we were in our day. And I just like for me being a white a white guy, but being brought up around loads of culture and loads of different colours, I find that really sad. Mm. And I just like moving forward out of this pandemic. That's one thing I really want to see. I, I really want to see go to parties where everyone is included. Like I want to go to a party where a young black or Asian girl is DJing, mm. and and then more to the point, I'm surrounded by different cultures and everyone's enjoying the music 
because I'm just bored of going to clubs where there's just like 2,000 white dudes there. It's like, that's not the culture that I was brought into. Do you no, know what I mean? it's not. And I think it also like brings a different vibe to the party because different cultures bring a different atmosphere. And and that's just how it is. is different cultures are diff- different types of people. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was doing an interview with someone a couple of weeks ago and they were asking me about the first raves I went to. And um, I remember going to uh, my, one of my first jungle nights was in an African-Caribbean set, uh, centre in the middle of Bristol. It was actually called the Malcolm X Centre. And they used to do raves in the basement of the Ma- Malcolm X Centre. And I just used, I used to go there with my, my mate, um, Dale. And he was... Um, his mum was from Jamaica and his dad was from England. And uh, we used to go together. And I I was usually the only white kid there. Mm. And I was a kid. Like, I was, like, sneaking through the back door. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have been there. Like, I didn't. <laughs> I was way too young. And, um, and I just remember coming through the back door and I remember smelling the crack, seeing the drugs, um, being a bit scared, you know, like, about knives, everyone carried knives then. And I was like, you know, and I would come home and I was like, I'll be buzzing from it. Yeah. You know, because it was scary and it was it was it was uncharted waters for me at that time. And there was music that I'd never heard before, you know. And there was amalgam jungle music then there was amalgamation of of uh it was like reggae, R and B and rare groove mm. and jungle techno techno all mixed up together and at that point it was like it was groundbreaking and i i would just go back go to school then and i'd be like yeah i went to this place you know and i was the only white guy yeah and it was like and then obviously it got bigger and 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 it was you know more multicultural um but when it was most multicultural that was the best like the feeling in the crowd it was a bit edgy yeah you know it was scary like yeah a fight could happen and someone could have a knife or there would be, you know, gay couples kissing in the crowd and people on ecstasy and, and everyone was like having this amazing time. And I just, yeah, just people to be included. I mean, that's the main thing, isn't it? I think, I think it's really important. Obviously I think for me, like I don't want, I don't want a place to be unsafe for people to go. The whole reason for, yeah, for me a, a club is of like course. I want people to be able to escape the unsafe reality that a lot of people have nowadays and kind of feel they go through and they yeah. not just like in life but like mentally and everything like that, but being able to go to a club and true escapism. And I think yeah. that's kind of also how it started in America. It was like these the, the black and the gay industry or scene weren't allowed in in normal clubs they weren't just weren't allowed to go weren't allowed in they'd be turned down so they started their own cultures and i just it's just like where did where did that go i don't know i'm i'm not gay and i'm not black so i can't really comment on yeah. it but it's like where did why why are all the gay clubs now in m- most places just really cheesy shitty poppy yeah poppy places i don't know i don't don't know and and i I guess us being white kids (laughs) and in in, in the position that we're in i guess we we just need to be open to it you know we just need to promote it and 
and visualize it and 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 bring it into what yeah. we're doing. You know, if 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 they want to be involved in what we're doing, then we uh, should promote that. Yeah, we should totally. promote what they're doing in their places. You know, and build it up and and e- e- even for them, like mm. not even for me or for us. Like like I'm lucky to be a part of that. You know. Um, and I just, I just think that's, you know, obviously like what Glitterbox is doing, um, and even like the thing on TV Pose, um, you know, about the drag queens and about Vogue and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it's just like we just need to have that in our culture. Um, and I think, you know, what Simon and what Glitterbox are doing is is, is cool. Um, and just really, really want to have that more, I guess. It's also for about me, doing it for the right reasons, though, isn't it? It's it's doing it to build culture rather than to make yeah. to, to make money out of the minority. Yeah, I mean the main the main thing f- for me is just to have, uh, like, not even for me to be a DJ or to be a promoter, but to me to be in the crowd mm. and soak that up. Yeah, because that's that's richer than any money I can get. Totally, because that's that's where I, that's fundamentally where I've come from. Mm. I've come from being in a room and being surrounded by that culture, and like that, and that for me as a producer or a DJ, that will give me lots more because and then I can go out and make music mm. and feel the vibes to give back to those people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. We are very lucky. Like, obviously I didn't grow up in Bristol, but I grew up around Bristol. Yeah. We are very lucky with how Bristol is as a culture and as how a community is, because it, it does very much look after itself and promote different cultures. Yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's like e- even walking around the streets, like, fundamentally you have them people around you yeah. i remember um i think you asked me or someone asked me again in an interview a couple of weeks ago how and why i wanted to become a dj or a producer and um and i remember it was, there was one thing that happened um there's a street in bristol called gloucester road mm. and um i'll be walking up and down gloucester road like skateboarding or whatever and um i remember seeing one of the guys from massive attack and I must have been about 17 or something. And I just remember seeing them. And that was at their like pinnacle, you know, yeah. time. And and that, I had a realisation, do you know what I mean? Like a guy from Bristol that's chatting to me on the street is an international pop star, superstar. Mm. And he's sitting there chatting to me. It's like, I could do this if yeah. I wanted to do it. Do you know what I mean? And I went back and, you know, DJing and later became into production and putting out records you know obviously i'm not as big as all the other guys that i'm surrounded by but but that was like something that really really like drew me in and and allowed me and was a positive thing to go and say you know what i can do that and the same for kids right now it's like i see those up-and-coming producers like walking along the street and i love to sit there and have a conversation with them and and you know, give them some advice or just, you know, tell them what I went through, not yeah. necessarily advice, do you know what I mean? But, you know, like, that's really important. And I don't know if people do that in uh, other cities or countries or whatever, mm-hmm. but in Bristol, we do that, you know. So yeah, if Brist- you see them the, on, a, on, the- on the street, you show them some love and, yeah, the Bristol yeah. scene has very much always been like I've never been part of it. I've never I've never yeah. like kind of fully immersed myself into it. Um and I I regret it to a certain extent for not like b- 
being a part of it, but I think yeah. you, I think you do generally have to grow up in Bristol to be part it's, of that. It's one thing growing up in Bristol, but also it's like it's that time of like, and I say this to quite a lot of up and coming DJs. Actually, it's just like if you want to do it badly, then you've got to immerse yourself in it. Mm-hmm. So, like, say if you want to be a DJ, it's like you you've got to go to the parties. Yeah. Um, and you've got to like hang out with all of the people at the parties with the music that you like playing, or like if you're into hip hop and drum and bass and house music, go and like hang out with everyone. Yeah. And you go to the house parties, or you um, you know, you hang out down the park and you listen to their music, you know, and then you become a fan of the music, not just wanting to be a part of it, you know. And that's like that's really important. Well, I, th- I think me, I, I sorry to butt in, but I also think yeah. that's that's a lot of the issue, isn't it, nowadays? Is and that's why I think we have so many so much music that's just carbon copy of everything else because people see the success in the DJ rather than the work behind being the DJ. So you yeah. get, a, let's say, for instance, there's a massive record, Beatport number one. How yeah. many carbon copies of those Beatport number ones do you get for the next two years? Like, yeah, and al- and also how many how many crying nights did the producer go through to even get that number one? Do you know what I mean? Years. Yeah, years, years. of ups and downs, and even when even when you're making it like. You, the 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 amount of like anxiety of the ups and downs you mm. go for it is incredible. I, I was thinking when I was having like some downtime, and uh, I was thinking about Kanye West. I was like, imagine what Kanye West goes through every time <laughs> he like writes a massive hit, and then he fails. Like, and then he's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, you know, like when he decided to make shoes, when he was like, yeah, I'm gonna make the Yeezys, and he went to Paris and everyone laughed at him. Mm. It's like. Imagine going to bed, how how bad he felt. Like. Well, and I then think- he got up and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just, you know. <laughs> I'm not bigging up Kanye because, like, we love and hate him. But can you imagine his anxiety attacks that he gets? I think the part of being an artist is you have to fail so many times and you have to get good at failing. Well, it's life, isn't it? You have to get good at failing. You but- fail more than you than, than you do well. And I, And I think the people that... Um, don't fail enough it means when their uh, career starts going down mm. they fail even more worse yeah. because they go in a downward spiral mm. but if you've got like peaks and troughs when you go to your peak you're excelling a lot more because you know what you've been through in your trough yeah but if you're like oh, up, 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 up. and that, like, I know loads of DJ, DJs that have been up, 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 up and then the COVID happened and they've struggled so much harder because they haven't had that trough. Damn, yeah. So all of a sudden they've been forced to have a trough. Mm. Like they forced to like not be earning money. Yeah. Like don't get me wrong, I've gone from earning lots of money to not earning lots of money to earning more money and then yeah. not earning money. But if you've just been on a straight up, 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 and then all of a sudden you're down, that's gonna blow your mind. Do you know what I mean? It's just not what you're used to, right? And yeah. I think that's it when you're not used to something it kind of hits you harder um but you've got to take that as a humble have to you have to learn from it you've got yeah i think that's the thing is that a lot of people just well not a lot of people people that really want to do something they will just keep doing it until they get to the point of of they're at that point um it's when you're doing it for the wrong reasons that those people kind of fail and and don't come back 
Yeah. But it's it's def it's definitely noticeable and, and also like I wanna be supportive to, to all of the people that have going through that because we are all going through it. Yeah. Like like I guess for me now is like I've kind of got used to like striving. I've got mm. not got used to it, but like so now when I'm become successful again, it will give me more like, you know, I'll be happy for being there because I've gone through these downtimes, you know. I think that the part of it is the part of the fun is the struggle. Yeah. Because when you like I haven't had a hit record yet and I've had records yeah. that have been successful, but I still haven't had a hit record yeah. that like is absolutely smashing being played everywhere. Yeah. And I think I'm actually kind of happy that I haven't because I've had I've built foundations and I've built something around me that when I do have that hit record, it will be a lot more enjoyable to kind of roll roll yeah. rather than going, Oh, what's next? What's next? Because every, I don't know about you, but everything when I, when I release a, a record and I have a really high expectations of the record and then it, doesn't, it always goes wrong. It always it? goes wrong. Always. Yeah. I, I prefer to just like hope for the best, but like for me, now I I just want to keep going. Mm. I'm not like I'm not gonna go. Oh, I'm gonna get a hit record and then tour for two three years. Mm. I just want to write music. Yeah, like regardless of what it is, I want to write music with vocals on. I want to mm. write underground music uh, for me myself and a couple of my mates. Yeah, I just want to carry on writing music because I love writing music. Mm. It's not for it. It's like that's that's what I want to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's important, man. It's important to that's love a given. You, you know. It's, it's super important to love love what we do because there's so many people in this life that just cannot stand their day-to-day living. And yeah. I, think, I think what we do is we actually, by writing music for people, we actually allow people to just keep going. Yeah, and, and also like enjoying it as well, like enjoying the time. I felt like when I was at my most successful time when I was DJing a lot, some of the times I'd kind of beat my... A lot of DJs probably do this. Mm. You play, like, massive arenas or stages and you come off the stage and you'd be like, I don't think I didn't... I don't think I've done very well, you know? What about... Th- what is that about, though? Do you think it's about actually being happy in your life outside of music as well as being happy in music? Because for me, like I, one of my busiest years, 2018, I was my least happiest. I yeah. played like fucking tons of shows. I did yeah. like 150, sh- no, 120 shows that year. I was yeah. like, should be, if somebody was like, well, you're going to be playing 120 shows this year, like 10 years ago, yeah. like I would have been like, oh my God, I can't even believe it. But yeah. I was pretty unhappy with everything else going on in my life, yeah. which then kind of, I I, I, th- I think you need to you, yeah to answer your question I think you need to be like free in your mind mm. in that in that yeah I was just coming off stage and I'd be like oh my god I played so badly and like I was clanging mixes and da 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 and and I should have just been like oh my god I just played an amazing festival mm. in front of like ten thousand people yeah. Like, that's a dream, regardless. Like, I should be satisfied and happy with where I am. Mm. And I just, I wasn't. And I and I believe now going forward in the career that I am in now, if I get there again, I need to just be happy and be yeah. like, you know what, I'm buzzing to just be here again. Mm. No, I totally agree. I think it's, I think it's key to just enjoy it. But I, I think also the coronavirus has made a lot of people reflect on what they did have 
Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like massive reflection on how I want to move forward with my career and also yeah. what I want to leave behind as well. Just be, just go and be happy with what you're doing and surround yourself with people that make you happy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I know that sounds pretty basic, but but I think that's that's the key is being around people that like that that boost you up. Yeah. Even if even if you're not like on the top of the bill, you're around people that like vibe you up and be like, yeah, yeah, bro, you're doing you're smashing it. You know, you're doing this. You're you know you're doing what you want and you're and you're going forward. I think that's the thing is like something that I've learned. I don't know. I don't know if this is the same for you, but over the last like few years, to like it's actually okay to say no. And yeah. you don't have to do everything you get offered. And if it doesn't make you happy, why do it? Because we're doing something that we absolutely love. Our job is what we love, but there's parts of the job that we don't love and there's yeah. things that we don't want to do. And, and that's okay. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing that I kind of used to struggle with is like trying Saying to yes to everything. Yeah. It's so yeah. unhealthy. I think that happens at the start of all of our careers just because we want to like fit in and we want people to like say that you're cool and you're nice um yeah which is kind of superficial i guess but well but, it's, I it's mean, stroking that ego isn't it yeah 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 and i was telling you before about that but power of now which is like you know i dare to say self-help but but um yes yeah, someone told me to read it a few years ago and i was like I didn't really know about egos. And now, as mm. soon as I read it, I really, really got to know about my own ego and like being driven and having a good ego and a bad ego and, you know, working with your ego. Yeah, it's being able to recognize it when it's ego or not, right? And it's. It's, t- it's taking yourself off and calling yourself a cunt. Excuse my, excuse yeah. my language. <laughs> but, but, um, also, yeah, it's like it's it's really important to to look at yourself and go, you know what, I didn't deal with that situation right. Yeah. But, um, but um, I I think I don't. I, someone's trying to call me. You, can you still see me? I can't see you. No. Okay, wait. I can, on, I can hear you. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, you're back. I'm back. I'm yeah, back. back. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't turn my phone off. But yeah. Um, yeah, I keep getting calls. I guess someone's trying to get through to me. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, egos, man, definitely. It's an interesting it's one. Cool. It's an interesting one, dude. We've just done an hour. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, and I've got pe- and I've got people calling me. Yeah, you're just say. just too popular, mate. Just before we go, uh, what have you got yes. coming up in the future and everything like that? Have you got any records coming out? What have you got out at the moment, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So yeah, yeah. What I've done um, is I've done a tune with a singer called Alex Mills, mm. um, and Classic. it's called "Shout It Back," and it's out on. Defected's new imprint, D for Dance. And that came out a month ago. And uh, it's doing business. It's 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 uh it's doing really, really well and I'm really happy. Really happy to be back with the guys from Defected. Because obviously that's where I started when mm. I signed baseline. Yeah. Um so that's really, really good to be back with them. And it's a really good record and and I love Alex. So check that out. And also I've done a tune with um George Kowali. And it's called In the Dark, and it came out about a week ago on Tora. Um, and it's with a really cool singer who's um, doing a different thing, so it isn't featured. But um, I thought the singer was George. 
for some reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, George, man, he's got such a good voice. <laughs> but yeah, that's just come out um, on Tour Room. So check that out. And I'm in the middle of writing loads of top secret music at the moment um, nice. with loads of really, really good vocals that I can't actually talk about. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I talked about Charlene before, but yeah. um, she's one of them. Uh, but I'm working on about three or four records at the moment that will be coming out in the next few months. Um, so just look out for them. Cool, um, man. They're, they're again, they're, they're kind of big vocal, big house, proper, you know, that's what I'm influenced by. Mm. I'm influenced by Chicago, New York, Detroit sound, you know, like um, Marshall Jefferson and uh, Larry Heard. Ron Trent and all them guys, like they're they're my heroes, yeah. you know. Like I love and respect their music to to anything. You know? Amazing. No, I I big vocals and big big beats is my life. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it, man. It's it's the way forward, dude. Yeah. Well, let let's try and catch up in the studio together with you and me as well. Yeah, so. man. Come down to me or I'll come to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always welcome. Um, keep in touch. Safe yeah, safe man. travels to France, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, see you soon. And that is a wrap. Absolutely loved it. Love Adam. He's a G. Go follow him. Um, go listen to his music and go see him in a club near you. Have a great week. Keep safe. Big love. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.